Now, let me just do a quick recap for those of you, hallelujah, who perhaps were not here last week so that you can catch up to the rest of us. Amen. Uh, one of the things that we learned last week, or at least one of the things that we determined last week, is that the Bible makes it very clear to referring to Jesus, watch this, or Jesus' occupation before he begins his ministry as being a carpenter. Now, most often in the Bible, when you hear this mentioned, you're going to hear the carpenter's son. But if you ever go to Mark chapter 5, you're going to hear Jesus in the beginning of Mark chapter 5 referenced as the carpenter, son of Mary. The carpenter, son of Mary. Most scholars believe that at this time, hallelujah, perhaps Joseph has either passed away because you don't hear about his father anymore. You, you hear about his father in the beginning and then all of a sudden he, it's like he's moved out of the way. Most scholars believe, and this is just speculation, that perhaps Joseph passed away. And Jesus being his apprentice now is the carpenter. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, listen, while that is true because the scripture says it, Amen. It's also true about who he is even spiritually because when I think about a carpenter, I can't help uh, but think about somebody who fixes things. And so when I think about Jesus, I know that Jesus is the type of individual who knows how to fix things. Come on, somebody. He is a fixer. If there is a problem, Jesus can fix it. How many of you in here believe that? It don't even matter what it is. Jesus can fix it. One of the things I love about this story is that we find Jesus at a wedding. The fact that we find him at a wedding ministers to me because it lets me know that Jesus is a strong advocate for marriage. I said he's a strong advocate for marriage. How do I know that? Because he chooses to do his first miracle at a wedding. Oh, God, help me in here. In other words, he's in the business of moving supernaturally in marriages. I said he's in the business of moving supernaturally in marriages. Does anybody else believe that in this place? But here's what you have to catch. If you read the story carefully in context, you find out that he's there, but he didn't just, he didn't just show up to show up. He's there because he got invited. So you better catch that because if you want God to move in your marriage, you have to invite him in it. I said if you want God to move, in your matrimony, you have to invite him into the marriage. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? We determined, hallelujah, that since he's a carpenter who fixes things, watch this. We said never make the mistake to limit him just to be your savior. Remember that? Because Jesus is not just interested in saving you. He's interested in fixing you. I say he just doesn't want to save you. He wants to fix you. What that means is simply this. You could be in this place tonight. You could be saved and not fixed. You don't have to shout amen. I know what I'm talking about. You could be in here. You could be saved, heaven bound, but not be fixed. So watch this. The challenge is you should never be content with just making it to heaven. If you're going to leave a mark on the earth, you have to be fixed. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. Mm. He's a carpenter. Uh, when I think about the story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan found the Jew who had been beaten uh, in the hands of thieves in a pit. He didn't just go in the pit and pull him out. He went in the pit, pulled him out, saved him, and then he bandaged him up. In other words, he fixed him up. Are you, he didn't just save him, he fixed him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
When Jesus heals the lepers, we mentioned this last week. Watch this. Ten lepers got healed. Only one of them came back, and Jesus said this to the one. Your faith has made you whole. Because just because you're healed don't mean you're whole. You could be healed, and that does not mean you're whole. And, and what, what, when I look at that number, nine out of ten were content with just being healed. And nine out of ten are probably content with just being saved. But I want to be whole. And I want Jesus to fix me. Oh, God, help me in here. When Lazarus got taken out of the tomb, watch this. He's no longer in darkness. He got taken out of the tomb, which means he's out of darkness now. Yet, hallelujah, he's still wrapped up. So he comes out, but he's not all the way out. And Jesus says, loose that man and let him go. He might be saved, but he ain't fixed. And I don't just want to save him. I want to fix him. Oh, God, help me in this place. He's a fixer. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I don't know about you, hallelujah, but Jesus has been fixing me since I got saved. Because Jesus understood as a carpenter that when he bought this house, he bought a fixer-upper. This one needed a lot of work. <laughs> hallelujah. One of, the things that, one of the other things that we learned last week was simply this, hallelujah. When your joy goes, your strength follows. When your joy goes, your strength follows. That's why Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is my strength. So if my joy goes, then my strength follows. Let me, let me help you understand that. If the joy in the relationship goes, then along with the joy going goes the fight or the energy to fight to keep it together. This is why it's imperative, hallelujah, for the joy not to leave. Because once the joy leaves, the fight leaves. The strength leaves. Are you hearing me? Hallelujah, Jesus. It's amazing to me when I think about Jesus because he's a carpenter, amen? One of the things we mentioned last week also was that isn't it ironic that the instrument that he uses, watch that the main instrument he uses to deliver us is made out of wood. I said it's made out of wood. It's the cross. When you look at the picture of Jesus on that hill, you're going to see wood, you're going to see nails, and you're going to see the carpenter himself working on our redemption. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? Hallelujah. So we found out, hallelujah, that Jesus is a fixer. And I don't know about you, saints, but he's really good at it, too. I said he's really good at it. Amen? Hallelujah. One of the things we learned last week about this story here is that when it's talking, listen, the stories in the Bible are literal. In other words, they happened exactly the way the Bible says they happened. But there's also a spiritual meaning behind the story that God wants you to get. So understand that a lot of the stories in the Bible are also uh, types and shadows or, or metaphors. For example, wine in your Bible is usually speaking about joy. Wine in your Bible could be speaking about prosperity. When the Bible talks about giving uh, to the Lord of your own substance, one of the consequences of that is that your vats will be full with wine. 
talking about prosperity. Wine is also indicative of the blood of Jesus. If I wanted to talk about the latter part of this story, which is the miracle, you find six water pots, six being the number of man, the water pots representing ceremonial washing, hallelujah. Six, since it's the number of man, it's talking about how, how, how it's about the works of men. In other words, men trying to clean themselves. But Jesus turns the water to wine to let them know, hallelujah, you're no longer under the law, but under grace. And only the blood can cleanse you. But that's not my assignment. That's not my assignment on tonight. I want to focus on joy. Amen. Anybody got it? Wine is a metaphor for joy. So when Mary says, they have no more wine, what she's saying is, they've lost their joy. And so one of the things that we talked about was, watch this, rather than focus on the miracle, which is what most people do, let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. Question number one was, why was the miracle necessary? Because we like the idea of a miracle, but the question is, why was the miracle necessary? And why do I ask myself that question? I ask myself that question because I don't want to live a life dependent upon miracles. If you need a miracle every week, something wrong with you. If every time you come to church, you come in here talking about, I want a miracle, something's wrong. When you study your Bible, people who are in constant need of miracles are usually wilderness wanderers. It was the people who were wandering in the wilderness that were depending on a miracle just about every other day. They're the ones that needed manna to fall from heaven. They're the ones that needed uh, water to come from a rock. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But the Bible says that when they got to Cana, the promised land, Canaan, when they got to Canaan, the promised land, as soon as they walked in, the manna stopped. Because the land was flowing with milk and honey. And so you want to get to a place in your life where you have access to it because it's all around you. It's when you start to walk in abundance. And when you have, you're... Not in need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack. Are you hearing me in this place? So we don't want to live a life dependent on miracles. Amen, somebody. Hallelujah. I got to move because time is not on my side. But we determined, hallelujah, let's try to answer that question. Why was the miracle necessary? And then I threw another question out there. Why did they run out of wine? See, we, don't, we, we, we usually jump right to the miracle, but let's ask these questions. Why did they run out of wine? Since we know what wine is a metaphor for, let's ask the real question. Why do people, let me put it another way, why do Christians lose their joy? This is considered a Jewish wedding, hallelujah. This is talking about the people of God. Why is it that the people of God run out of joy? It's quiet in here, hallelujah. And so watch this, we determined, we determined, hallelujah. I asked the congregation last week, do you want to know? And everybody said, yeah, we want to know. And then I, 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 I answered by saying, I really don't know the answer. <laughs> because the Bible doesn't specifically specify why it is they ran out of wine. So what we did is that we, 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 we brought possibilities based on what we do know about what the Bible says. We know that it's a wedding. It's a party. We know that the Jewish weddings we learned last week were not over in one day. 
You haven't been to a party until you've been to a Jewish party. Those weddings last seven days. Could you imagine that? You go to the party, you go home, you go to sleep, you get up, you go to the party. You go home, you go to sleep, you get up, you go to the party. You go home, you go to sleep, you get up, you go to the party. <laughs> seven days. And so watch this. They're celebrating, and I'm thinking to myself, how is it that you run out of wine? And so we determine three possibilities, right? I'm going to give them to you, and then I'm going to give you two more that I didn't give you last week. Is that all right? So watch this. The first one, throw it up on the screen. Hallelujah. Put my next point up there. It's probably the one after that, but go ahead and just put the next one up there anyway. Oh, one of the things, hold on, let me just stop here for a second. One of the things we mentioned last week also is simply this. Watch this. Jesus will often take care of a matter because you matter. Watch, not necessarily because it matters to him, but because you matter to him. And I can't get into that, hallelujah, but when Mary asked Jesus to do something about it, he said, well, what do I have to do with, this got nothing to do with me. You're stressing out over something that I'm not stressing out over. It matters to you more than it matters to me. But since you matter to me, oh, God, help me in here. He, he intervenes. Amen, somebody. And so God will do it, hallelujah, because you matter to him. Now, next point. Watch this. So the first possibility on why they ran out of wine is because they had a bunch of uninvited guests. Unin Think about it. Anybody who's ever planned a big event, anybody who's ever planned a wedding, you know you need to have a list of those you are inviting. Amen? Because there is only a certain capacity that will fit perhaps at your venue. And so watch this. One of the things that becomes dangerous is that you have more people than you have capacity. That could happen in your life. And it could be people or it could just be stuff. But if you're not careful, you could take on more than you can handle. Are you in this place? And so in this place, what you have, watch this. If there are uninvited guests, what you have is people who came in self-invited and now are taking from you without permission. Are you following me? And so what you really needed to do is have somebody at the door. <laughs> to make sure they had access. Because, listen, you need to know, this is, the, this is the danger right here. Most people don't know their capacity. And when it's my responsibility to monitor my joy, I need to know my joy level. I need to monitor my joy and I need to know my capacity so that I don't take on more than I can handle. Because it is possible that you have allowed stuff to come in that you should have checked at the door. And it's overwhelming you. Watch this. And the thing that it's costing you is your why. In other words, it's your joy. And because you have more people than you have capacity in an attempt to serve all those people, you are losing. You're losing your joy. Amen, somebody. I got to move. Second one that we talked about last week was this one. You remember when I testified a little bit last week? 
I can't do it again because it'll take too much time. I used to crash parties before Jesus saved me. I used to crash parties. I had to be at one. It didn't matter. I'd go alone. I didn't know the host of the party. And I still went and showed up and act like I knew him. Like, hey, I'm here. Anyway, the next point. And then Jesus said, thank God. What? What? Next are the unexpected. Unexpected guests. These are the people that when you, when you see them coming, you go, oh, what a surprise. What a surprise to see you here. You, it's not, listen to me, it's not that you didn't invite, it's not that you didn't invite these people. You just didn't think these people would come. You know how it is, hallelujah, maybe they live really far and you just didn't think that they would come. So you didn't send them an invitation. It's not that you didn't want them there. But you just didn't think they would come. And then they come. <laughs> and you're like, surprise. <laughs> and, and listen, listen. Unexpected guests can be a pleasant surprise. But it can also rob you of your wine. Because you still got extra people now in the place. It's, it's like when family shows up unannounced. Remember we said that last week? They ring the bell, you open the door, hey, we're in town. You're like, hey, what a pleasant surprise. We're staying for a couple of days. And you're like, oh, there's more of you than I have rooms. And so now watch this. A good surprise can bring about bad stress. Because now I got to think about how I'm going to situate all these people and how I'm going to feed them. And if I'm not careful, hallelujah, in an attempt to do so, I could be losing my, I could be losing my joy. It's, it's, it's a wonderful surprise, but maybe just not the right time, not the right time. Nobody's going to talk back to me now, but I'm going to be real. It's like, when, it's, it's, it's like when the wife comes over to you and goes, hey, we're having a baby. Wow. Awesome. You know you can't say nothing else, but, but, you, but, but you can't help but think, hallelujah, how are we going to make this happen? It could bring about, it could bring about stress. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Unexpected. The next one, I got to move, hallelujah, watch. The next one we talked about last week, watch this. Are the inconsiderate. They're the ones that make you say, what's up with that? What? The inconsiderate, watch this. The problem with this is that you invited them to the party. But you've never had the luxury nor the foresight to really get to know them on a personal level. You think that because you've seen them for years, you know them. But it's, it's not until you've had to be with them in close proximity for about seven days that you begin to learn some things. These are the individuals, watch this now, can I be real in here? These are the individuals, watch this now, that know you have to serve all these other people 
but they just drinking up all the wine. They're inconsiderate, watch this, because people are going to go without because they keep getting theirs. And then they're not interested in anybody else as long as they get, as long as they get theirs. And, and, and listen, they take, they take, they take, and they don't pitch in. They're takers. They're taking up all your time, I mean your wine. Sucking you dry. And what's getting lost in the process is your joy. Are you in this place, church? Inconsiderate. Hallelujah. We have to accommodate all these people. And you're being inconsiderate on how your activity is impacting me. Are you in this place, church? Are you blessed in here? Can I give you an example of what I'm talking about? I won't go to it because I only got but a few minutes. But for those of you who know John chapter 11, which is the story of Lazarus. Most of us are familiar with that story. If you want to read it, go to John chapter 11. Uh, at verses 5 through 7 uh, basically talk about how Jesus loved Mary and Martha. We know that he loved Mary and Martha and that Lazarus was his friend. The Bible is clear about that, right? So watch this. Word goes to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. The Bible then goes on to say, somewhere around verse 6, that Jesus purposely stood back. How will you react when he doesn't come when you want him to come? He purposely waited. Okay? He purposely waited for Lazarus to die. And then he decided to go. When he finally gets there, you know the story, Lazarus has already been dead. How many days, saints? Four days. And so we, we think we know this story frontwards and backwards. But let me tell you something about the story perhaps you don't pay attention to. When Jesus said, check it for yourself. When Jesus said, let's go back to Bethany. That's where Lazarus is. That's where Mary and Martha live. Let's go back to Bethany. One of the disciples, I believe it was Thomas, said, Jesus, the last time we were there, you almost died. The last time you were there, they tried to kill you. Anybody remember that? They tried to kill you. And you, you can't read the Bible and just ignore that. But almost every sermon I've ever heard about Lazarus never touches that right there. But I'm going to touch it because I can't ignore it. Are you following what I'm saying? So watch this. I believe that it's there for a reason. So watch this. The last time you were there, Jesus, they almost killed you. You're wanted over there. It is dangerous for you to be there. So dangerous that when Jesus said, I'm going anyway, Thomas went on to say, then we all going to die. He said, let's all go die with Jesus. He was almost sure that if they went back over there, they were going to die. So watch this. He gets there, and the first thing Mary and Martha say is, you're late. I want you to see how inconsiderate even believers can be. Because all Mary and Martha were concerned about was the fact that Jesus was late. And all they were concerned about was what Jesus could have did for them. Or should have did for them. You're late. If you would have been here sooner, my brother would not have died. But ain't nobody considering 
the fact that the last time Jesus was there, he was dead. He was as good as dead. He almost died. So watch this now. It's amazing how sometimes huh, we have no problem talking to somebody about what they're supposed to do, but we never take into consideration what it cost them to be who they are. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying in here. Hallelujah. And so watch this. You got, you got people who, who, who seemingly, who seemingly are considerate of you as long as it doesn't affect them negatively. These are the kind of people that will tell you, get some rest. Get some rest until I call. These are the people that will say something like, you can't possibly help everybody, but you help me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The last time Jesus came over here, he almost died. But nobody's saying, nobody's saying, Jesus, I know that, you know, last time you came over here, they tried to kill you. Maybe you could, you know, find another way to get here, to just get here. And Jesus got there when he got there. Which allows me to know that Jesus has an amazing way to distinguish between people's needs and people's preferences. And, and Jesus, in essence, is saying, I can meet your need, but I don't have to accommodate all your preferences. And so watch this. I'll meet your need as long as your preferences are not going to get me stoned. And so watch this. I'm going to meet your need. Your need is that you want your brother raised. And I'm going to do it. I'm just not going to do it when you thought I should do it. You prefer I raise him up before he died. I'm going to meet your need, but I ain't accommodating your preference. Oh, God, have mercy in this place. Hallelujah. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not being moved by the pressure of people. I'm beyond that. And so are good leaders. I'm going to leave that alone. I'm going to leave that alone because I got to move. Are you blessed in here? Hallelujah, Jesus. So, with that being said, Oh, my God. I got to close. But I got to give you these last two points. Amen? Because then I'll be back to square one. <laughs> I'm still on part one. Amen? But notice what Jesus is telling. Notice what Jesus is telling these people. Jesus is basically saying, you expect me to love you enough to come when you call me. Then you should at least love me enough to consider what it costs me to come. And if you're surrounded by people who are only interested in you coming when they call and they never consider what it costs you to come, you'll run out of joy. You'll run out of joy. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen now. Hallelujah. Because here, look, put my, put my next point on the, on the screen real quick. You can't wait for people to get a revelation about your leak. <laughs> because some of us are losing joy. And I say nothing in here. Hallelujah. Some of us are losing joy. And you can't wait for people to catch a revelation of your joy level. If it's your house, it's your responsibility to monitor your joy. 
just recently, hallelujah, and, and Elder Shorter could testify to this. We have a leak somewhere, hallelujah, in the basement. Glory to God. So you know what we had to do? <laughs> we had to take the initiative and we had to call a carpenter. <laughs> we just happened to know one. His name is Jesse. Amen. I've known him for years. He's a carpenter by trade, but he can do anything. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And because we know him, we found favor with him. But watch this. When we took the initiative, we found favor. I'm going to try this side over here. I say, when we took the initiative, we found favor. And we got it fixed. Amen, somebody. You can't wait for people to catch a revelation on how low you are on your Joe level. They will drink it up. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me give you, let me give you two more and I'll close very quickly. Amen. Listen. Oh, God. Maybe, maybe it's not people. Maybe it's not stuff. Maybe it's you. I could, I could tell you a lottery. I could tell you at least 10 right now if I wanted to. Other reasons why people lose their joy. Lack of devotion, uh, unresolved conflict. I mean, I could start naming them. But because I'm trying to stay in context with the story here, since we're talking about a wedding, I thought about two more that are in line with this particular story. The first one. Sometimes your joy runs out because you run in. Sometimes your joy runs out because you run in. In other words, you run in unprepared. You run in without carefully assessing. Yeah, people do it all the time. They do it in relationships. <laughs> they run in. And before you know it, joy runs. I'm going to leave that alone. But poor, pe poor preparation. Could it be, could it be, watch this now, that it wasn't necessarily the people because they were expecting a lot of people. Could it be that they were excited and expecting a lot of people, but watch this, when all the people they were expecting came, they didn't plan correctly. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Sometimes we lose our joy because we're expecting this great thing that we didn't really plan for. And then God will send it and you lose, you lose the joy associated to what you were expecting because you were not ready for it. Oh, God, help me in here. If I'm believing God, watch this, for 500 people to come to my wedding, then I should plan for 500 people. But I can't expect and get excited about 500 people coming and only have enough for 300. That's poor planning. Let me ask you a question in here. Have you been preparing for what you've been praying for? I'm believing God for this, and I'm believing God for this, and God's going to do something real big. Have you been preparing for what you've been praying for? Nehemiah wants to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. You know the story, right? Watch this now. He needs favor. He finds favor with the king. This is the key to the story. Watch this now. While he's waiting, he's planning. 
while he's, watch this, while he's working a regular job, he's the cupbearer, he is planning for his vision. He is planning for his destiny. So that when God gives him the opportunity to find favor with the person who has the power to fund his dream, when that person asks him the question, how long will you be gone and when, you, when will you return? Nehemiah said, I'll be gone for such and such time and I'll be back by then. Why does he know that? Because he was preparing for what he was praying for. And when he found favor and the opportunity came up, it didn't elude him because he was ready for it. Oh God, how are you in this place, church? Are you preparing for what you've been praying for? Ooh, there's a, I got to close, but look, there's a woman in the Bible. She's referred to as the Shunammite woman. Anybody familiar with the Shunammite? I call her the dynamite woman. That's a bad lady, let me tell you. The Shunammite woman. I think it's 2 Kings chapter 4, chapter 3 or chapter 4. You'll find that story. Amen. This particular woman, watch this, is watching the man of God, the prophet Elijah, come in and out of the city every day. Watch this. He's coming in. He's going out. He's coming in. He's going out. He's coming in. He's going. And she's watching him. Can I help you in here? Somebody's watching you. People are watching you. Watch this. And what lets people know whether or not you are the real thing is your consistency. Notice what the text, the text says. She watches him come in and out, come in and out, come in and out. To the point where after seeing him do this for a while, she goes to her husband and she says, honey, I perceive that this man is a holy man of God. How do you know that? His consistency is testifying to me. That he is the real thing. And so watch this. This woman says, he's carrying the blessing of the Lord. And I want a piece of it. She says, I want to partner with that. It's consistency has my buy-in. <laughs> I want to partner with that because that's the real deal. So watch this. Here's what she's really saying. This is what she's really saying. I'm tired of visitation. I want habitation. I wish people would get like that about the presence of God. Hallelujah. I wish people would just say, I'm tired of visitation. I don't want to come to church and hope that he shows up. Hallelujah. And visit me one Sunday and not visit me the next Sunday. Or visit me one Wednesday and not visit me for four other Wednesdays. I don't want visitation. I want habitation. I want the blessing to come and stay. I don't want the blessing to come and go, come and go, come and go. I want the blessing to come and I want it to stay in my house. Watch this. So what does she say? She says, let's do something. Let's build a room. She said, let's, let's build a room. And her husband's probably thinking, but what do you want to build a room for? Watch this. Here, here's the way this woman thinks. She says, I don't know when he's coming again. But if the blessing is unexpected, I'm going to make room for it. So hear what I'm saying in here. Are you catching what I'm saying? If the blessing is unexpected, in other words, if God is going to send it at any time, and I don't know exactly when it's going to come, I want to make room for it so that when it comes, it stays. Are you preparing for what you're believing for? Let me ask you a question. If you're really, because listen, I'm not impressed with people who dream Unless you're moving toward accomplishing that dream. You can have big dreams 
But if you ain't preparing, that's all it's going to be is a big dream. What makes, what, what determines whether or not it's a blessing or a burden when it comes is preparation. What is going to determine whether it's a burden or a blessing when it comes is preparation. Because if I was ready for it, I'm going to be blessed. But if I was not ready for it, I'm going to lose it. And along with losing it, I'm going to lose my joy associated with what I was believing for. Because I did not. You're not talking back to me. Hallelujah. That means it's time to go. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here, church? And let me give you the last one and I'll close. Sometimes your joy leaves you because your eyes deceive you. Sometimes your joy leaves you because your eyes deceive you. In other words, you have poor perception. How you see it is everything. I said how you see it is everything. Because how you see it will determine how you handle it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me share one more quick story with you and I'll close. There was a time where most of the enemies of God had a hard time attacking God's people because the prophet was near to the king. And so watch this. The prophet would always give the king insight as to what was going to happen. So the king always had an advantage. Because let me just throw this out there. Anybody who has the word always has an advantage. The king always had insight on what was going to happen because he had the prophet. The prophet represents the word of God and the presence of God. So as long as you got the word and the presence of God, you always have an advantage. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you have a word from God, you always have an advantage in decision making. But when you don't have a word from God, watch this now, you are left to your own understanding. And the Bible challenges not to lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, right? And he will direct your path. Why is that? Because if you are left to your own understanding, watch this, you are limited because you can only see the present. But if you have a word, you have a word that's coming from the one who's already been to the end. <laughs> Which always gives you an advantage. So the enemy knowing that, I'm finishing. So the enemy knowing that says, I got to cut him away from the word. If I can get the word away from the man, then he will have to fight like everybody else does. If I could remove the word, then he won't have an advantage. And he'll be left to fight just like everybody else fights. Are you with me? So watch this. So then the evil kings decided we got to kill the prophet. And so watch this. On one occasion, this is where you're going to catch the story and remember it. On one occasion, the prophet and his servant are in the wilderness and they are asleep. And all of a sudden, the servant is awoken. And when he looks to his amazement, he is surrounded, surrounded by a huge army of enemies who are there to kill him. And so what does he do? He gets nervous. 
And so he runs to the prophet. He runs to the word. Not a bad decision, but watch this. Runs to the man of God and wakes him up. And the man of God is mad that he woke him up. Kind of reminds me of Jesus on the boat. Why are you waking me up? He wakes him up, and, he, and in essence, he's basically saying, look, we're done. We're going to die. Watch this now. I'm closing. And the man of God doesn't even answer him. He looks up, and he says, Lord, open his eyes. Your joy leaves you because your eyes deceive you. you oh God, help me in here. You have a poor perspective on the matter. Watch this. You look and you only see a problem. I look and I see protection. God, help me in this place. You have one perspective, but you don't have the right perspective. The Bible says, he said, open his eyes. And the thing that blessed me was that God opened his eyes Without his permission. No, no, you're, no you're, not, you're not catching what I'm saying. The reason I got excited when I heard that was because he didn't need his permission to open his eyes. And I begin to think right there. I know a lot of people who need their eyes open. And I said, God, if you opened his without his permission. Oh, I just started praying a new prayer. God, open, <laughs> open their eyes so they can get a right perspective. Let them not just see the problem, let them see the protection. The Bible says that when God opened his eyes, he saw chariots upon chariots of fire surrounding the enemies. And listen, this is the way he said it, open his eyes so that he could know. That there are more that are for us than they that are against us. When you see like that, you don't lose your joy. But your joy leaves you when you let your eyes deceive you. Are you blessed in here, church? Stand to your feet in this place.